always locked on heat. Biscayne, South Beach. Goldberg and Ramil. Talking heat, body chill. Got the stats in the news. Got the facts in the views. Never know what they gon' say. Mailbag on a Monday. Pat Rouse got the pack round. Coach Spoke got the know how. Three bands in the raps now. Heat Nation, that's a packed house. Heat talk at the game time. Heat talk every day. I'm always locked on heat. Got it locked on heat. Always locked on heat. Keep it locked on heat. Seat geek for the cheek. What's the day got the heat? Locked on heat hopes. West Goldberg and David Ramil. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your daily Miami Heat podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Ramil, and we are recapping the Miami Heat's 112 to 103 loss to the Detroit Pistons. The Heat fall to six and seven on the year. Uh, they do complete their six-game road trip with a 3-3 three and three record, which isn't all that bad. 500 on a six-game road trip. Um, it could have been worse. But this game in particular wasn't... Uh, it was disappointing. Right, David? I mean, the Heat had an 11-point lead at the start of, at some point at the beginning of the third quarter. They, they led by double digits. But Detroit rallied back. They won on a couple of runs. And they ended up beating, beating Miami by nine points. Yeah, it was disappointing. The road trip in general, I think... Was a little disappointing. Obviously, the loss to the Warriors, nothing you can do about that. Uh, the Warriors seem to be in an incredible rhythm. But, you know, again, they, they lose a tight one to Denver, lose a completely winnable one against Detroit. Detroit has a really good record, but I wasn't overly impressed. They had some really great individual performances, I think, from Tobias Harris and, and Luke Kennard, who broke out of a sh- shooting slump for you know in his rookie season. Randy but overall, Strong, Miami. Killer, Luke Kennard, great. Yeah. He's yeah, a last, Miami. One, of the, one of the worst rookies in the class up until today. Yeah, hadn't what did he had made one three pointer and that was his specialty Prior coming to, into the league. Yeah, yeah. and any I think he went off for like three or something like that against, yep, against the. Two of them. Uh, okay, so I, I mean, just very disappointing. Um, you know, especially because in the first half they looked so fluid offensively, they had issues defensively, and those came back to bite the team in the ass. Yeah, I mean, it really was a tale of two halves for the Heat. I mean, they they like you said they were moving the ball really well on offense in the in the first half. They actually had. They had attempted uh, 16 three-pointers in the first quarter. They had made 11 three-pointers in the first half, and they had made just two in the second half. So you go from making 11 threes in the first half to just two in the second half. It's going to be hard to finish games that way. Uh, and and I think part of it was a little bit of Miami uh, just not hitting shots. Also, their shots weren't as good. You know, in the first half, a lot of them came in rhythm. They were getting Wayne Ellington off of screens. They were getting James Johnson or or Tyler Johnson off of uh, off of little dribble handoffs, and and Josh Richardson was getting open shots off of Dragic and Waiters driving kicks, and everything was moving fluidly, like you said. But in the second half. That stopped, and you got to give credit to Detroit because they clamped down defensively. I thought Reggie Jackson and, and Avery Bradley in particular did a really good job kind of trying to stop Dragic and Waiters, recognizing that that's where all of Miami's offense comes from, is from that drive-and-kick game that starts and ends with 7-11. And Detroit basically just said, we're going to clamp down. We're going to basically give up everything else. We're not going to let you guys get to the get into the paint and kick out. And they did a really nice job of sort of 
uh, strangling the drives of Dragic and Waiters. And then everybody else was able to follow suit. Guys like Tobias Harris, Reggie Bullock, and, and all of Detroit's other wings were able to close out uh, because they just had a couple, you know, they had, uh, it wasn't as spacey um, and Miami wasn't moving the ball as well. And, and so you give credit to Detroit also for the Heat. Um, I thought it showed a big weakness on Miami's part where when they're going against really good defensive teams and are, they don't have that one guy that they can kind of just turn to who can just sort of go into isolation and get a bucket. They just they don't have that player. You know, there were moments there where I thought Dion might be uh, able to lead back the charge after Detroit kind of picked up their lead. They, they seemed to cut into it quite a bit, and then I think they were down, I want to say three now. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then all of a sudden, Detroit just picked up their offense completely. It was a bad swing there where Hassan Whiteside took a face-up jumper, and then they turned it around and led to an Avery Bradley three. Um it, it, Without that one go-to guy, certainly things change. But overall, I think it was just a completely sh- a complete shift in in how the offense works. Like in the first half, so many of their field goal attempts were assisted. The ball was mm-hmm. moving so smoothly. Then, because of the defensive presence of keeping the perimeter players out of the paint, it led to open shots at the perimeter, but those weren't falling. And then, unfortunately, it led to Hassan Whiteside taking over the bulk of the offense. Most of his twenty points came in the second half, mm-hmm. really changed the way that Miami was able to do things completely. Uh, it just They just looked completely lost out there. It was a, a live-by-the-three, die-by-the-three game. As cliche as that might sound, they those shots that were following the first half simply weren't doing so, and they didn't have the luxury of being able to find seams in the defense by penetrating the, into the paint because um, Detroit's defense did such a great job of shutting that down. And that might be partly why the team did kind of move towards Hassan Whiteside in the post. It's just that... I don't know. I, you know, I get that you want to use him. Like I was saying before, they don't have that guy who could just get points in isolation. That's probably because if Dion Waiters were four inches taller, he might be that guy. But he's not. And Whiteside is a guy who is just seven feet tall, and he puts his arms up, and he can at least get a shot going towards the rim, right? right. Um, the problem with him is that he doesn't really have any good post moves. He he forces up shots. There was a there was a sequence in the in the second half where. Uh, he just lapsed on defense because he, he wasn't getting down the floor. And then when, when the Heat were back on offense, they they gave him the entry pass, and there was three white shirts around him, three Detroit Pistons, and for and it was and Josh Richardson was wide open calling for the ball beyond the three point line, and he just tried to force up this shot, and it didn't work. And it's just it's this sort of thing over and over and over again. What that I think. You know, Whiteside, if he were able to just kind of break out of that mentality, would be so much more valuable. If Dragic and Waiters, if if Detroit is cutting off the Dragic Waiters driving kick, then if you can at least get Whiteside to suck in the defense and then have him pass out, that's at least another way to accomplish that and get those open threes. But he, Whiteside's incapable of doing that. Um, all right, let's get, get a some, comment about that later. Yeah, sorry. Did. Yeah, we'll get to the Twitter uh, questions. But quick reminder. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On NBA channel, which brings you all 30 Locked On NBA podcasts and one easy-to-follow stream in your podcast app. Subscribe to the Locked On Heat so you get every episode every day and then subscribe to Locked On NBA, the Locked On NBA channel so you can scout Miami's next opponent and keep up with the most interesting storylines in the league, such as this mess with Rudy Gobert, which we're going to talk about later. 
Um, also, be sure to check out the NFL side, like Locked on Dolphins. Especially check that out Tuesday for a uh, Monday night football recap. The Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to our first Twitter comment here. This comes from Jeff. Seeing that Andre Drummond has turned into a competent passer, it makes Whiteside all the more frustrating. Drummond today, uh, four assists. Unbelievable. You want to guess how many assists uh, Hassan Whiteside had? I am not looking at the box score. I'm guessing zero. Zero. Oh, wow, look at that. Drummond went, you know, from, I was just thinking... Drummond went from averaging, I think, less than one and a half assists per game last year to now more than three a game this year. I mean, that is a dramatic difference. And that's that's the kind of leap Heat fans were hoping Whiteside would eventually one day possibly take. And that's why we get comments like Jeff's where people are just frustrated. You know, I was thinking back, and obviously in today's league where you have players like Nikola Jokic, even Nikola Vucevic in Orlando, Carl Anthony Towns, et cetera, they space the floor differently. That's not going to be Hassan's game ever, you know, despite the fact that he's shooting, what is it, two for two on three-pointers. Um, he just needs to do things differently. His, his game is much more back-to-the-basket, traditional, et cetera. That's fine. But you know what? We had two centers like that, Alonzo Mourning and Shaquille O'Neal, and both of them were really good passers. Shaquille, in particular, was an exceptional passer out of double and triple teams. He could find guys in the perimeter, which is why everybody had career years shooting from the three-point line whenever they played with Shaq. A guy like Damon Jones who would come here and and thrive in Miami's offense because of Shaq's passing ability. So it's not like it's impossible for Whiteside to still dominate in the paint and still be able to get other guys engaged. He's just either incapable or unwilling to do so. And that's a severe problem because he's not going to space the floor consistently elsewhere, but he can still do it that way. If he can draw a double team because of his size, he can still kick it out to an open shooter. Look, it's the same precepts of the offense of the drive and kick offense. So long as the drive just happens to be a, it could be a back to the basket move. But so long as you kick it out to those open shooters, it's going to free up the offense so much more. And unfortunately, Whiteside's just not capable of doing it. I mean, you nailed it on the head that even though Whiteside is not a, he doesn't, he's not able to space the floor, even though he'd probably argue that he's got a decent mid-range jumper, which he doesn't. But sure. um, right. it goes in one out of every three or four times, which is not an appropriate percentage to be shooting those but you're right that's you know you need to if you're not going to do that you need to you need to threaten the defense with the pass because if you don't you end up with exactly what teams like Detroit and a lot of teams so far this year have started doing against Whiteside again which we've seen them we've seen the league do this in spurts where as soon as Whiteside catches the ball near the rim they just collapse on him with two three sometimes even four guys because they know he is not going to pass the ball um, and, and you look at the box score, if you don't see the game, you look at the box score, finished with 20 points, 9 of 16. Yeah, I, I could say that you dominated. He, he probably had a pretty strong game over Drummond. Uh, Drummond's not much of a defensive center. He's a little bit more improved this year. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still not indicative of a good game for Whiteside. Um, the, the sheer counting numbers don't really dictate how effective or inefficient, in this case, Whiteside actually was because he did kill a lot of Miami's offense, unfortunately. it was He was the black hole, and he was able to take advantage of certain opportunities there because of Drummond's poor footing or, or poor spacing on, on defense. But at the same time, it, it just Miami's offense just looked crippled in the second half of the game. I mean, yeah. And, we, and I've gotten comments on my own Twitter feed about, hey, why aren't you talking about how when Whiteside does play well? His counting stats look good. Often, 
But there is so much more that he needs to be doing to make right. winning plays. And that's the problem with Whiteside. Let's get to our next Twitter comment. This comes from Kevin. So James Johnson at center, but still no BAM. That is not okay. So as so since Eric Spolstra has really settled on this lineup of um, Justice Winslow starting at the four spot, and then James Johnson, Kelly Olenek, Wayne Ellington, and Tyler Johnson being the four guys off the bench, that's the that's the core nine that Spo has settled on. That means guys like O'Kara White, Bam Adebayo, and Jordan Mickey, they're not playing. And so I think a lot of Heat fans right now are frustrated that Bam isn't getting any minutes. I've I've got my opinion on this, but I'm interested to hear yours first, David. Are you, do you want to see more Bam? Do you feel like Bam should have played tonight? No, I don't. I think that would have been a problem trying to handle Drummond, to be honest with you. Like, he does have some ability defensively and he's strong enough. I just think he's a little undersized. And I think it's part of the reason why Kelly Olynyk, who was shooting so well offensively played, you know, 16 minutes less than his average, but it seemed like he was just taken out right as he was getting hot offensively because of Drummond's presence in the game. Eric Spolster immediately saw Drummond coming into the game, put Whiteside in there. Whiteside played 29 minutes tonight. Uh, you know, Drummond played 36 minutes. Doesn't really have a backup. Uh, Eric Moreland, I think he plays, Backup center, he played only yeah. five minutes in comparison. So Drummond was in the game for a majority of the time. I'm not sure that Bam would have been a good. It wouldn't have been a good game for Bam tonight. He might have been killed, and that might have hurt his confidence. I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, look, I, Whiteside was uh, was a neutral plus minus. Kelly Olynyk was a minus ten in the game. Um, maybe you make the argument then that you might as well give Bam a shot. I just don't know what he could have done. I don't know what he would have done differently. Um, I think that the Heat, they went to wide side, like we talked about in the, at the start of the, well, during the third quarter because Detroit was cutting off the drive and kick game. I don't know that Bam's going to help with that. He doesn't have the gravitas that Whiteside has, even if Whiteside sure. can't do anything with it. Um, Bam just doesn't have that start point. Kelly Olenek had a bad game just because he wasn't necessarily aggressive with his shot. He wasn't getting open, and I think he got a little bullied by by Detroit's size. I don't know that Bam would have helped there either, because he's not he's not an aggressive shooter. He's not necessarily an effective shooter. We don't as far as shooting it from the perimeter at, at the NBA level. I don't know where Bam fits in. I get that if those other guys aren't playing well, that Heat fans might be frustrated. But he's a rookie. The Heat were in this game. Most rookies are just bad, flat out. Like, this isn't the time to play Bam. This is not the time to experiment with what Bam can do. The Heat were in this game for almost the entirety of the contest. And you don't you don't throw a rookie in there just to see if it sticks, right? You need to play your veterans, play your best players, and try to come out of this game with a win and try to end up with a 4-2 and two record on the six-game road trip. Miami ended up 3-3. Three and three. They lost the game. But I, I appreciate that they went after it, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. If you haven't done so, just a reminder, if you could, take a moment and leave a five-star rating and review. You could do it on our iTunes page. Uh, we just got a new one from Dr. Dr. Jack Rules. Where has this podcast been all my life? After spending years waiting for the Ira Winderman's all-too-brief segments on WQAM, this is finally the regular Heat podcast we knew we wanted but never knew we needed until now. And even better, Wes and David are obviously the real deal with a deep knowledge of heat history and genuine rapport. The analysis is solid, the takes are hot, and the two-a-day format borders on genius. This is coming from when we were doing our season previews. We have a lot more other genius segments. So not to toot our own horn, but this is pretty good. I'm interested to see if other people can one-up that one. That was a five-star rating and review. We've got a lot of them now. 
Nice. Yeah, we're at 64. Let's try to get up to like 80 by the end of the month. I think that's a good benchmark. I think so. All right. So, spotlight players. Who is your spotlight player, David? Uh, not not the brightest of spotlights today, but my player is James Johnson. Mm. Uh, finished with only 10 points in 26 me- uh, minutes, 3 of 8 shooting, 0 of 1 from 3-point range. Just looked really shaky. Was able to get to the line a little bit, 4 or 5. Uh, finished with three rebounds, two assists, and a steal, no blocks. But he just did not look comfortable offensively, and I'm not quite sure what it was. He didn't seem – they were using him to run the offense quite a bit while he was yeah. out there, um, and that doesn't that didn't necessarily work out to Miami's benefit, obviously. Like in the first half it did, in the second half not so much. He just looked like he was struggling a little bit. Um, and, and defensively he was getting roasted by Tobias Harris. I think that was – a a team-wide lack of effort there, but Harris finished with 25 points on in 37 minutes, 8 of 15 shooting, 5 of 8 from the perimeter. Uh, you know, Harris has shot really, really well this year, so you have to be cognizant of that. And for whatever reason, Johnson just kind of felt, flagged it, off of him. I just don't understand why he let Tobias get those wide open looks. It felt like through. he was working on an old scouting report. You know, I know that Miami hasn't played yeah. Detroit this year, but, you know, Tobias Harris shot 34.7% from three last year and only took 3.8 a game. This year he's taking nearly twice as many threes a game, and he's hitting him at almost a 50% clip. I mean, he is a good three-point shooter, and that's not just a fluke. His stroke looks really good. His mechanics are solid. They're tight. He's a This guy is a legitimate three-point shooter now, and James Johnson, he just—he was playing him soft. Was. And Absolutely. and that was weird and and I think maybe you started to tighten it up a little bit later and at the you know throughout the game but Tobias just had his number because at that point Harris is just being able to close he's able to take him off the dribble he's got a variety of uh, uh, post moves and he, he's got good footwork and James Johnson wasn't able to keep up um, offensively he also finished right. yeah three of eight. Only eight yeah. field goal attempts total. I mean, not a great you know, percentage, obviously, but he didn't. He wasn't nearely aggressive enough. Like he's got to yeah. take the ball out of Whiteside's hands. He he's he creates our best match and uh, mismatches, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. of his size and his athleticism and that spin move. As you know, it wasn't like him turning the ball over. He had zero turnovers, which is an improvement over other times when he's lost control of his dribble. That wasn't the case today. He just looked somewhat meek, you know, and just yeah. a little deferring to other players. In this case, probably Whiteside the most. Um, and that was to Miami's disadvantage. My spotlight player is Goran Dragic. He ended up with 18 points. He went. He was six of 14 from the field, two of four in three-point range. He finished with seven assists. Uh, you look at that box score and you say, okay, that's not bad. But he he had 12 of those 18 points in the first quarter. And I thought Reggie Jackson did a pretty nice job. Reggie Jackson with his seven-foot wingspan uh, <laughs> did a nice job defending him. After that, even though Dragic basically had his number in the first quarter. And give credit to Detroit and Stan Van Gundy for making adjustments throughout the game. That's good coaching. That's that's why this team right now is ten and three, and, and has the second best team in the East behind only the Boston Celtics. But um, you know that's why Dragic is my spotlight player. You wonder what went wrong after that first quarter. We was able to start so hot and was just not able to kind of maintain that throughout. Yeah. And. Um, I think, you know, partly it was Reggie Jackson, partly it was Miami going to different routes on offense and trying different things throughout the game, and they kind of got away from Goran Dragic. As you mentioned, James Johnson, he ended up handling the ball a lot more. That was probably to get Goran Dragic and, and, and Dion Waiters off the ball a little bit more, to get them a little bit more free, to maybe cut to the rim or make some, or, or get open for some catch-and-shoot uh, opportunities. But it just wasn't there after the first quarter for Dragic. 
I wonder how much, if anything, uh, fatigue might have played a factor. Obviously, the sixth game of the road trip, mm. uh, maybe they're looking ahead to returning home. I, I, I've always considered, you know, comments from, you know, not friend of the program, but, you know, friend of our hearts, Tony Fiorentino, who always warned us about the game returning from a road trip as being the dangerous trap one, because after, in this case, like two weeks on the road, you have to adjust to life back home. And, you know, you've got concerns from bills, a significant other, your house is in disarray. You're just adjusting back to life uh, at its normal pace. But I guess the last game of a road trip can be just as dangerous. You know, you're, you're looking ahead already to going back home. You're tired. You've been living out of a hotel, out of your suitcase for the last X number of days, um, you know. This isn't a team that's talented or deep enough, unfortunately, to make up for that kind of sense of fatigue. Uh, and I wonder how much that might have impacted Goran's ability to be as aggressive or even Johnson's ability to be more aggressive late in the game. Yeah. So, you know, the Heat, they end up falling this game. They just didn't have it in the end. It might be, it might have been because of that, that fatigue. That's not a bad hypothesis. They did look tired. It is the last game of a, a long road trip, one of their longest road trips of the year. Luckily, it's over. And we can move on. And, and next, the, the Heat will play the Wizards on Wednesday back home. First part of a home-and-home. Home. So they'll be back on the road after that, but not for six games. So that's fortunate. I know that we need to talk about Rudy Gobert, though. Yes. So the Heat... Well, I don't, they, I, go ahead. Well, the Heat, they, I'm going to set it up for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to clear out, and I'm going to let you isolation like Dion. Um, <laughs> so the Heat, on Friday, they played the Utah Jazz. And at one point... Dion Waiters dove for a loose ball, ended up crashing into Rudy Gobert's knees. Gobert fell. He ends up with a, a bone bruise, and um, it was reported this morning that Gobert is going to miss four to six weeks, so at least a month because of this bone bruise. After that, after the Jazz game, Gobert on Twitter tweeted, "Dove for the ball, right? Dot dot right. dot," and it was accompanied by a video of Waiters diving for that loose ball. Dion Waiters responded saying, I've never been a dirty player in my life. I went for the ball. Tell him to get out of his feelings, and that's what it is, just like that. So Waiters basically saying, I'm not a dirty player. Gobert saying he is a dirty player. Then in this game, Waiters again dove for a ball. He toppled somebody over. Was it Drummond? I know. Uh, that was coming around on the screen. I think he was uh, going around the Drummond screen. Oh, that's right. And he got he got tangled up there. Look, Philly Cheese is a is a tough MRFer, but damn, he like he 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 had Drummond wrapped up with his arm and somehow like karate flipped him over his back. <laughs> I, I, it was he's strong because Drummond's a big boy. I mean, he's a, right. a good two eighty at least. You know, I know he's lost some weight, but he's a good two eighty. And that video um, gets and, on and Twitter, and Gobert quote tweets yeah. it with just the eyeball emoji. So obviously, Gobert is looking at Gobert is not a fan of the Miami Heat. No, like we had not. the whole blanc coat situation from two years ago, and <laughs> the whole thing. He's not a fan of the Eats, and he's obviously monitoring Dion Waiters. He's not happy, obviously. Uh, I right. know that you're upset about this, though. You've got you've got some feelings. I, I do, I do. I think uh, one. I don't think that Dion was diving for his knees. I think he was diving for the ball, as Eric Spolster explained. Also, it's been a point of emphasis for Dion, coming from a culture where he didn't necessarily have that ingrained in him. He understands now that part of heat culture, for better or for worse, is about diving for loose balls, making that extra effort. I didn't see him spin out of control. And to me, what it boils down to is a matter of opinion. And that's unfortunate because as a, a fan base, the Jazz are always going to see that it was a dirty play. But 
you know, they're judging intent, and that's something that's impossible to do because Dion's already explained that he wasn't, you know, making a dirty play. Spolster backs him up on it. So whose opinion are you? Who do you have? You know, who, whose opinion do you share? Is it Gobert's who thinks it was a dirty play? Look, the reality is Gobert's seven foot freaking five. He can't bend over. He can't move as quickly as as, as a guy like Dion, who's much more short and compact and much more agile. Um, he saw waiters going for him, and he stood there like a big, stiff scarecrow, unable to move out of the way. I mean, are you really thinking that waiters dove for his knees, or could you put the blame just as easily on Gobert and say, well, get the hell out of the way, you big bastard? I mean, it's to me, it's just so goddamn ridiculous. I'm tired of seeing Utah Jazz fans get so sensitive about everything that happens here. Like, everybody's taking shots at Gobert, and poor Rudy Gobert at 7'5 needs to be protected by the likes of Jazz Twitter. They can shut the hell up, to be honest with you. I am sick of that. They're damn whining. I, I know I sound like the sports talk radio at this point, but come at me, Jazz Twitter. I could give a crap less. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could take most of you guys. And I, I, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I, I can't wait to see David Locke this Friday so I can tell him to his face to tell Jazz Twitter <laughs> to shut the fuck up. I don't even know how to follow that up. Look, I, I'm just going to talk about the dive because I'm with you. I don't. I don't want to start judging intention to me. This is a really big this is a really big hot take topic trying to judge whether or not something was a dirty play. I mean, we used to see this all the time with Kelly Olynyk. Remember when Olynyk pulled Kevin Love's shoulder out of its socket and for a sure. week it was is Kelly Olynyk a dirty player? Blah, blah blah. I don't care. I don't care. I don't even care if Deion Waiters is a dirty player. I don't care. We've been dealing with Dwayne Wade being accused of being a dirty player for 13 years. I don't care. It's sports. <laughs> I don't care. That said, look at Deion Waiters. And when he's diving for that ball, look, in football, you're taught if you're diving for a loose ball, you put your back towards the opponent so that they can't scoop it up from you. To me, that's what Deion was doing. He dove for the ball. His back went into Rudy Gobert's knees because he was putting his back Towards the opponent. That's what you do when you're diving for a loose ball in football. I'm pretty sure Dion played football as a kid growing up a little bit. Maybe he picked it up there. I don't know. I don't know if they teach that in basketball too. What I do know is that that's what that looked like to me. And if it was, if that's what I saw, maybe I'm blinded from being a Heat fan. Maybe that's what it is. If I were a Jazz fan, maybe it would look like a dirty play. At the same time, I don't give a flying F if it was a dirty play. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me because it was legal what he did. It was unfortunate what happened. I'm a, I'm a fan of Rudy Gobert's game. I'm a, I, I like, I, it, you never want to see an injury, but nothing illegal happened. And I don't, I just, it's, it's annoying that we just try to, we, a bunch of people that know sports and can talk about sports all of a sudden just try to play psychologist and try to get into somebody's head and try to judge intent. I'm so over that conversation. I just don't even want to have it anymore. This is it right here. Uh, Andy Bailey, uh, who writes for Bleacher Report and mm -hmm. others. I still can't believe there was no news of the league looking into the play that caused this. Uh, there wasn't even a foul called on the play. Deion Waiters completely changed course from going after a loose ball to going straight for Gobert's knee. Not that he was diving for the ball and a guy on a gimpy ankle was basically parallel to the ground. He went right bowling towards Gobert's seven foot five long knees. Goddamn ridiculous! I am so sick of this conversation. All right, well let's stop having it then. We've we've right. we've said all we needed to say. Disagree? Agree? Let us know. Yeah. Contact us on Twitter via Ask Lo Lo Heat. Mm -hmm. You know we'll always want you know, respond to any kind of comments you might 
provide for us. We're curious whether or not we're in the minority here. I don't think we are, but I'm curious to hear what everybody else has to say about it. Yeah, maybe we'll have some mailbag questions about it too. We'll see. Um, We're postponing the mailbag for Tuesday, Old School Transmissions Tuesday. Um, So we'll have that. You can send your mailbag questions to LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. That's all we have for today. Make sure you subscribe to the show to get podcasts automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Theme song is by CeeLo Keys. Outro music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. Sure. <laughs>